Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally. And we are your home for F1 racing this side of the pond. Ryan, we've got a first half in the books. And I, gotta I know, say, it took us a little while to get here, uh, for <laughs> us especially. <laughs> but yes. Well, so, summer breaks are summer breaks across the board. So we all need a little time away. Um, I, I think we need to have a little bit of a palate cleanse from Verstappen domination. I could definitely use it. Uh, I've got the Dutch it, national anthem playing in my sleep. Oh, man. I think it'll haunt my dreams, to be honest, at this point. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Steve, we, we wanted to kind of recap some of what we've been seeing um, and, you know, revisit some of our predictions at the beginning of the year. But it's a it's been a crazy season in some ways. In other ways, it's been ho-hum predictable almost to a detriment. Yeah, it's been a little set it and forget it with who's going to finish on the top step of the podium. Uh, obviously, Max has been absolutely dominant. Uh you know, can't really take anything away from him because it's been on every single variety of track. You know, the fast tracks, the high downforce tracks, the street circuits. It's been in dry and wet weather. Um, he's, you know, done it in qualifying. He's done it in the race. He's gotten fast laps, even when the team's asked him not to do it. So I, there's nothing you can't say he hasn't earned when it's come to the season. Uh, been no flukes no not at all he's been dominant clean uh, almost to the point where uh, he could be even reckless and do other things i i would actually like to see max try to push the envelope a little bit more and show how dominant he could be this year um it's uh you know drive from the back of the of the pack uh you know start from uh pit lane um you know, take over the AlphaTauri uh, and and see if you can win in that. I let, let's just see how good you are this year. Yeah, and the thing is, they they haven't suffered from really even a whisper of reliability. So where other teams might, you know, like we just raced in Belgium. Belgium last year, he had to take a grid penalty for new components. Started fifteenth, still won. So it's not like that necessarily affected it, but. You know, at least at some point you could say like, well, they'll have to take an engine penalty or change a gearbox and they'll have to start further back on the grid. But they've been so, you know, uh, clean with their housekeeping and their engine components and the reliability that, uh, you know, there's not even kind of that uh, silver climbing on a dark cloud to look at. Right. I mean, like you think about it from the way Max has been so dominant, as long as he gets through qualifying clean and he gets out of that first corner. Okay. He's been so dominant that there's no one around him to worry about. At that point, the only reliability issues are a mess up in the pits or the, the parts going south on him on the track. And to be honest with you, I haven't seen a lot of that happening for many teams. Um, let alone Red Bull, who is probably about one of the best put together teams you're going to find even in a down year they always have fast pit stops they always seem to be on top of their stuff um and you know reliability is what it is but i do feel like this this cost cap and some of this like leveling of the field has also brought in a a level of reliability across all the teams as well yeah i mean where you really see it now if you want to talk about you know uh losing opportunity at least in the pit lane it's like it's mercedes every single time with a four four and a half second pit stop everyone else is doing two or you know two flat some sub two second pit stops 
and it's costing them. It's only costing them a, you know, position here and there, but you know, when you're fighting to secure second place in, in the constructors, when you're trying to inch your way into the top three of the drivers, those points matter. You know, they, they lost out on at least two podiums and potentially the shot at, at competing for a win because, you know, their, their pit stops haven't been clean. And when you don't have the fastest car, those little things make the difference. Right. You know, as in, as in all sports, all phases of the game do contribute. Right. And, you know, again, we, we love Ryan's American sports analogies of the week, but oh, I smell you know, special in, teams, you know, yeah. Special teams, right. He goes, we are in football season here. I would just say American football season here in the United States as we're in preseason to start the regular season. And uh, special teams, man, special teams. And, you know, you get a good offense and a good defense, right? And you're like, okay, we're good. But uh, special teams isn't good. And you lose a couple of games, some missed field goals, some missed point afters. You give up a punt return. You give up field position. And that's where I feel like the – the garage game is at right that's the special teams here it's something that people don't pay attention to oh we had a little slightly uh longer pit stop or uh you know we we had a little dust up in the pits where we we had an early exit or something that's where you can blow up your whole day though you can blow up your whole day in the pits uh just middle milliseconds difference and then you you lose on the track and so yeah that's the thing i i feel like you could have teams dialed in on offense and defense, but their special teams go south in the pits and then, you know, they have a bad day. That's that's when Steven chimes in with his sports analogy of the week and brings up the 2010 San Diego Chargers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> number one offense, number one defense didn't make the playoffs because their special teams was atrocious. So, again, three phases of the game and... F1, it's all your phases. Got to have reliability mixed in with a fast car and a competent driver. You know, right. it, it, it's not an individual sport. It is a team sport. The, the garage has to set up the car. The driver has to drive it. And then during the race, they have to be able to execute those pit stops and strategy well. And we just, we see it happen all the time. Um, mostly the Ferrari, um, where all of those phases don't come together, uh, or one of those phases fails horribly and costs the team uh, c- competitiveness, let alone wins or, or, or podiums. Um, and, you know, again, Steve, uh, it's uh, we always are promised a new Ferrari, and we get the same old Ferrari. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to, you know, touch on real quick because it's not something we've really talked about but talking about this total team aspect of of an f1 team and you know a a, a kind of surface level casual fan it's like all right you have you know the driver and he comes in you've got the pit crew and you've got the uh you know essentially what, what you would consider the crew chief in in a team principal or you know the the leader of the team but to understand when a race is going on that you have people connected across continents influencing what's going on in the race because they have a full, a full support team not only just back at one factory but then at another facility monitoring the data where they have uh, 
you know, all the readouts from all the information of the car that they're tracking and relaying back trackside to the team so they can make decisions. And then they have a whole uh, set of people working on tactics who are, you know, looking at lap times and tire degradation to try to figure out when they're going to pull pit stops. And, you know, it's it's a team of hundreds working behind the scenes. Uh, and I think it's just really an incredible feat of logistics and engineering to get through one race at a time. And, you know, I, I also just believe that I'll tell you this, Steve, and I don't know if I've actually told you this before, but it pisses me off when a team doesn't put in effort to the pit. It really does. Um, It's, and it's funny because I have this thing about me too. Like when you're not on time, I feel it's disrespectful. And that might be a little bit overwhelming for people to hear. If like you're, as a person, if you are not on time or you're not on time for our meeting or you're not on time for this, I feel like it's disrespectful of the person's time. You think that your time is more important or you can't get your shit together to be on time, right? And that might be harsh. And I, I try not to like hold it against people too much, but it's a belief system that I have. Same thing here. I feel like this is the same thing. It's a sloppiness. It's an, it's an indication of sloppiness in the team. We didn't put enough effort into our pit stops to get this downright, no mistakes, clean, as fast as we can. But you see Red Bull doing it, which is why I have to give them respect in this instance and not be pissed at them. Because, damn it, if they don't always try to have the fastest pit stop every season, whether they're great, decent, competitive, or dominant, they always do that. And I feel like it's the margins that keep them always competitive. I feel like Mercedes, on the other hand, sometimes gets a little sloppy and when the other aspects of their games are going awry or not as strong as they are, it really shows on the track. And you, you don't expect that from the Germans, you know? You, you, yeah, you the expect... precision, the fine precision of the Germans, right? They, they've had it on the engineering front for the you know better part of a decade until the, you know, as Heat fans, we talk about culture all the time. And I think, you know, Red Bull essentially now is the cultural leaders of F1. You know, it, it was Mercedes. They had that winning culture. But I think kind of you're at, you know, the mountain peak for so long in thin air. It really starts to mess with your head. Um, but having the culture at Red Bull of we're going to nail everything. Even when we had, you know, two younger drivers who fought with each other even when we didn't have the fastest car, we're still going to approach everything with a hundred percent down to, you know, you know, down, down to every screw down to the lug nut so that any one of our controllables, we at least have a handle on, you know, if, if we come to a point where we can figure out to get the car, right, we know we're going to be on one because we've, you know, kind of uh, trained ourselves into that mode. And, you know, for the third straight year now, it, it's paying off for them. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just interesting. And we may be harping too much uh, in this episode on uh, the the pit crew. But I, I just think that it's just emblematic of Red Bull's season. Everything's clicking. And 
partially it's because they've made such a commitment to everything clicking. The the years they've spent into making this car work, maybe on a little unfairly, we can talk about the, the cost overages and all that other stuff and whether or not they were properly wrapped on the knuckles for it. And But also the driver's at his best point now. Max is a very great driver, very dedicated. Uh, he's been building to this moment. And again, the, just the commitment to the details that everything is. They've set themselves up for long-term success. But we see this happen with a lot of teams, right? Teams go on the runs like this, and it takes some preparation. It takes some work. You just, you just don't magically stumble into five, six, seven years of dominance. It, it does take some work. And it seems like Red Bull's been putting in the work. And sometimes it's because you have that... Uh, that Goliath you have to topple. Maybe Mercedes is just as responsible for Red Bull's success as yeah. not, right? You know, uh, uh, you know they're, the way they're the Goliath we have to topple, right? The way LeBron owes a lot to the 2011 Mavericks, um, right. where he felt like if he would have won that title, you know, maybe the next two don't come, and you know, eventually he wins four. He does it on three different teams, but you know, w- without the absolute you know, worst loss of his career, the hardest loss of his career, you know, where, where does he go from there? And I think that's what we were hoping to see from Mercedes and Lewis was that after their 2011 NBA finals, which was, you know, 2021 Abu Dhabi, that, you know, they set it on drive to survive, that everybody has a target on their back, uh, but they, they just haven't managed to find the same kind of fight in their car. And, you know, they've, they've made some organizational changes. They finally come around and change the car. They've definitely seen, you know, uh, vast improvements from where they were. Um, but they still kind of find themselves not within, you know, uh, the same level of performance as Red Bull. And in the first half of the season, they had to fight against Aston Martin. Uh, who had taken their engine and done better. <laughs> and now the, the, you know, the second half of the first half, they're losing out to McLaren, another team that's a customer to Mercedes and their power unit. Um, so I, I think in their wildest dreams, I didn't think they saw a struggle like this. I'm just looking at all of the Mercedes engines that have different aspects of success this year, and I'm just like, if they could just combine it into one car, they could maybe compete with Red Bull. <laughs> but um, no, we, you know, we talk about this uh, to a certain extent. I mean, in fairness to Lewis, he is a point out of third, um, and you know, ultimately, 41 points out of second place, uh, and. You've got enough time that if things go your way, you can maybe make that a hunt. But you are more than uh, uh, doubled up by the leader in Max. And the only reason Sergio is within range is because he has been inconsistent this year and the best car on the track. So you you can look at it and you can look at it in two different views. Well, you know it, this isn't Mercedes's best, but Lewis does have a chance at this very moment to finish in the top three easily, the top two possibly. Um, and but you could also look at he has no chance in hell at first, and the only cha- only reason he has a chance at second is because a car has performed under what it's expected. So. It, it you know it, it favorable view or it's that glass half half full you know glass half empty 
yeah, it's it's certainly not because Mercedes is getting that much better. It it's because he's finding opportunities and you know, there's there's only three drivers this year to score points in every race, and it's been Max, Fernando, and Lewis. Uh, so, you know, you keep your nose clean, literally. Uh, you capitalize when other teams make success, or, or capitalize when other teams don't have success, and then uh, you you try to be as dialed in week to week. And, you know, you'll find yourself consistently with a higher floor, like fourth or fifth, should be the floor right now for Lewis. And with the odd podium being, you know, essentially his ceiling. I, I you know, he, he started a pole in Hungary, but he didn't keep the lead for more than, you know, a quarter mile, unfortunately. Um, so a, a, as far as, you know, races to come where Mercedes can really be, you know, a factor. I mean, the next race is Max's home race. So I feel like he should just get handed a trophy and, you know, get to watch. <laughs> um, you know, Brazil's always on there, which is always a great Mercedes track. But, uh, yeah, it's it's tough. You know, when you look at your team's schedule and you try to pick up the wins and losses, it just, for anybody other than Red Bull, it seems like such a long shot. And I, I think, you know, we had high expectations that, the competition this year would be a little bit more balanced than it was last year. And, you know, last year we ended up with, uh, I want to say five race winners. And this year we've had two. Uh, we have one more podium finisher at the halfway point than we did all of last season. So there is a little bit more to play for as far as who's finishing behind Max, but uh, it, it just is is such a dominant year that you're going to have to really hope that they're off their game or have some kind of mistake. Yeah, I, I think it's obvious at this point that um, while the rest of the field is a little bit more competitive and interesting, and there are definitely spaces... Uh, almost in different tiers on this where you're like here's two or three drivers competing for an area here's two or three drivers competing for an area and then there's like the the buffer zones between those where it's like if someone has a really good run they can maybe sneak into this upper tier but it's you know we've heard this quite a bit and some even people even drivers have maybe kind of made this reference what if max wasn't in the grid this year this would be a different season yeah it would i mean uh but you know that's not the case and i don't think i want it to be the case (laughs) max is an all-time driver i mean it's not my favorite but uh you know he's not my favorite driver in the world and it, it is what it is but no denying he's great and um it's uh it's just, I think the stick in the craw is just, you know, I've been a big Mercedes fan, um, and it, they are like the Patriots, you know, and I, I'm a Dolphins fan. Uh, but also, just that that season where Lewis loses out and it feels like Max was handed a championship by race officials sticks in my craw, and people may debate whether that that's fair or not to do that. But Max has obviously earned his championships. It's just like Tom Brady in the tuck rule. And he shouldn't have even had a chance to play for a championship because of that. It goes, but magically, but no denying that Tom Brady did deserve his other championships, right? Right. Um, you know, you get to a point where it's like you get beaten over the head by greatness. And then, like, all right, I've, I've got no choice but to really respect what the guy's done. Um, you know, 
Super Bowls are hard to come by. And, you know, when, when he's talking about having more rings than Jordan and you kind of laugh it off and then he ends up with seven, like a, a quarterback having seven rings when like the next closest guy was, uh, you know, Montana and Bradshaw with four and he almost doubled them. You know, and was, played for many more opportunities too. I mean, uh, it, the kind of the kind of run you see um, that takes longevity, health, skill set, a lot of things coming together. It's a little serendipitous as much as it is talent, right? Right. Um, and you know, uh, for Max, for instance, if we're going to give him the same comparison point. Uh, Max is doing it at a young age. Uh, if he races as long as Lewis or Fernando, he could certainly uh, do some really interesting damage to a lot of records. Uh, dwarf that of Schumacher and and uh, you know some of the accomplishments Lewis has been able to chase down as well uh, with, with with Schumacher. Right. So you you're looking at a guy who could do that. But we're also looking at a guy who's a tad mercurial about his racing life and might hang it up before he even challenges some of those upper levels. Well, yeah, there's... You you can look at the Red Bull team for another example of a dominant young driver in Sebastian Vettel. You know, he, won, he was the youngest championship uh, winning driver at the time. He won four in a row and... Ultimately, Red Bull didn't do the best job preparing for the new turbo hybrid era when they switched over from V8s to V6s. And then he got an opportunity to race for his boyhood favorite team in Ferrari and took it. But he he got close-ish to a title, but really, you know, again, being on Ferrari, how close can you get? Um, you know, never got to that same level again. So you think four straight championships, he's under, you know, uh, 26 by the time he's got his fourth. He's got another 10 years of dominant driving. But then there's other factors that play into it. And, yeah, he ends up being one of the all-time greats and, you know, wins over 50 races and, you know, wins for multiple teams. But, you know, you expected him to be a Schumacher-esque driver in his career. He didn't get to the same, you know, statistically not to the same levels of Schumacher and then eventually Hamilton. So Max is going for his third straight this year. And you, know, you, you it's, it's hard to start writing things and filling things in for the future when there's going to be plenty of variables. You know, there's going to be changes in regulations. There's going to be drivers moving around teams. And like you said, ultimately Max is attention that he can give the sport always seems precarious on you know just how much he wants to dedicate to a, a real like slog of a schedule for formula one of you know 23 races next year but they could easily try to stretch it out to 25 if the money's there you know uh, a, a 10 month commitment over five continents is going to be a lot for anybody and for someone who's you know accomplished enough and wants to you know make his mark somewhere else in in Le Mans or endurance yeah he could step away without having the need to you know like I, I don't need to be the best 
statistically to know that I that I am the best internally. And Max has been very vocal actually about if they expand the um, the schedule that he might have to seriously consider if it's worth his time. I, I, it's probably him throwing his weight around a little bit to say like, look, I am who I am and I have the power to say what I say. You know, please be considerate of what I'm asking. But I also think he doesn't say it emptily, right? He he does mean it. Uh, he he's accomplished what he's accomplished. He's not going to have any regrets, I think, about what he's done if he feels like he has to walk away on principle. Um, and you know, um, it's to bring in another sports analogy. We've seen phenoms flame out, right? Um, I'm not saying Max is that kind of guy. I'm not saying Max is a phenom in the true sense. He has definitely established himself as a great. He's kind of moving from phenom to consistent great at this juncture. But we've seen guys like Ken Griffey Jr. monster and then like move to the Cincinnati Reds and just become an average to piddling player. We've seen Albert Pujols kind of slough off a little bit after he moved on to the Angels um, in baseball. It usually happens with baseball. Baseball has the biggest phenom flame out, I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I was getting ready to go with... Uh... Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden. Right, I didn't really want to. I I was saving the Mets for last because I really dislike them. (laughs) Because that's where they belong. Right. Um, And uh, and I would just say, unfortunately, nothing... uh, The reason I waited for them is that drugs did them in. So... um, uh, And so that's that's the thing. Drugs did in Doc and and Straw. But... uh, yeah. But that just goes to show the the myriad of things. Like I don't think Max is going to be a drug addict, and you know, uh, no. But it's the outside world intervenes, right? But it's he does hang out life. a lot with Martin Garrix, so you can't entirely rule it out. Yeah, you you, you got to watch. You got to watch who you hang with, right? It's the uh, fame is the gateway to addiction. I feel sometimes. Um, but uh, that aside, right? Um, you know, a lot of talk and a lot of joking, a lot of speculation but uh living in the moment and predicting the rest of the season uh, max is having a great season and probably will not get off this ride until it ends right well what's the argument that he would what have we seen that like there's some weakness in him or the team or the car that i mean next out it's his home race who who's gonna beat him in the netherlands unless he makes a mistake um it has to be like it has to be a series of unfortunate events, right? I would have to say Max would have to um, either qualify poorly or take a grid penalty, cycle himself back in traffic on a track where their DRS advantage is mitigated. And then he would just have to survive getting around and not get into any tangles with anybody or not have any bad weather. If, if you throw all of these, and I'm not saying it sounds like a lot, but it could happen in a weekend and it all comes together where it's like, he might also sit there and say, you know what? I really don't want to screw that. I'm just going to drive safe. Who cares if I win? I, I, I don't want to wreck my car. I, I don't, I don't want to get injured. Right. Yeah. Um, but he'll also go for the fast lap on old tires with three warnings of track limits um that's an overwhelming belief in his ability i think at that point that's thumbing his nose you know that's uh that's the belief he's fine uh there's 
there's dangerous and then there's just you know stupid or risky right um i i haven't seen him be dangerous this year uh he hasn't needed to be so with all that said uh he's been well, throwing let, a, yeah, yeah. A monkey let, let, let me ask through. you uh let me ask you this though: Do do you have a a favorite moment or or favorite race from the year? I would hate to say that the favorite moments are in qualifying, which is not a good look for the season. Don't get me wrong; there's been some fun races, but I've gotten the most excited watching that final uh, run on the final lap for people to get their qualifying, and the the person who's gonna get the pole keeps changing with every car going across and you're seeing some excellent you're seeing a Williams up there you're seeing Hulkenberg up there you're you're seeing you know uh, uh, a McLaren you know you're seeing guys you don't normally see up there it's the times where Max's look almost beatable and that's been the most fun for me this year it's the hope that's the hope that's the hope I always all my hope is in qualifying and then it goes to shit when the race happens Saturdays have been so much better than Sundays. Uh, you know, like like you said, it's been electric. Uh, everybody's been in play. You know, we've had some wet qualifying. We've had dry qualifying. You know, we've had, you know, obviously more teams in it because uh, we've also had Ferrari and Mercedes on pole aside from the Red Bulls. But, uh, you know, we've had... Lando nearly where the pole but snatched away from Max at the end. And yeah, it's it's just Saturdays has given us a lot. And it's it's really shown what level we're talking about as, as far as like driving ability. Give me fresh tires, one lap, let me attack every apex, and I can be as good as any other guy on the grid. And, you know, a lot of guys have proven it. Um, so if, if we can somehow transfer that over onto Sunday, I know it's tough because a, a lot of the teams don't have the issues or, or don't have the issue of tire wear figured out the same way that Red Bull does. And that, that kind of lets them drive away 25, 30 seconds. You know, Ferrari's terrible on their tires. Any other team with a Ferrari engine, terrible on their tires. And the other teams just aren't quite fast enough. And then when you mix in the fact that, you know, uh, Williams is so fast in a straight line and it, you're going to get stuck behind him, there's just no way to kind of leapfrog, leapfrog through the field and catch up to that uh, all-conquering Red Bull. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, it's the, the best you got, right? Best tires, open run, you know, no traffic in front of you, time trial, no fuel, your lightest, your fastest you're going to be. And it's uh, it's just fun to see some, some teams this year throw out a monster lap like that and they never get close to it in the race. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess if, if I had a favorite, I guess race, because, you know, not... Not all of them have been great. They've been pretty processional. But uh, I think Monaco was actually, you know, pretty good this year. It did help with the fact that we had some, you know, changeable conditions and some rain came through. And, yeah, Max won. But, you know, we got to see uh, maybe the most unlikely podium finisher of the year with Esteban, 
you know, taking third uh, was pretty impressive. Uh, Fernando finished second. And, you know, I, I think that just uh, had a lot of added intrigue with the fact that the rain came late and really switched things up. Um, and, you know, teams had to make some really uh, iffy on-the-fly strategy calls. Some didn't work out, Lance. Um, and uh, ultimately paid off for Esteban. Yeah, and I, you know, um, yeah, Monaco, we always worry about Monaco being a bore, right? And uh, especially with the dominance we had seen so far from Red Bull, but actually was an interesting race. It was one of those where it's like, you know, here you are trying to shuffle off Monaco, and Monaco is actually one of the more interesting races of the season at that point. And uh, a game changer, I guess, for Esteban, because Esteban is currently 10th in points. And without that third place, uh, he's probably... Hanging around the, you know, uh, I think he just he just drops one spot. No, maybe well, two. He he drops two spots. He drops behind his teammate, down to yeah. eleven, twelfth. Uh, yeah, and then and uh, and you know within stone's throw, some of those guys who just with a good race would get closer to him. With the with that, he's you know thirty five points in. He's got a little bit of distance between twelfth and thirteenth. You know he's got a race or two before they catch up with him if he has bad races. So I mean it, it's enough where it kind of positions him well. He uh, he can make me take take a stab to ride up a little bit higher in the tenth uh, in the ninth maybe. I mean he's chasing Lance Stroll. Who knows right? I mean, that's um, his that's his uh, that's his best friend though. But yeah. he. <laughs> The, the fact that he's doing better than him in the Alpine is, uh, it says a lot about Lance's performance of the year. Yeah, there's a there's a few interesting things here, and I would also, you know, in some instances, it's uh, the performance of the teammates of the guys who are doing well. You're seeing same car, theoretically, but different results. And Lance is definitely one who did not get to experience any of the early success of Fernando. And now that they've kind of come back a little bit to the pack is also falling precipitously as well. Well, speaking of Lance, uh, before the season started, we, uh, we talked about what our biggest disappointments were going to be. <laughs> speaking of Lance, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we had a couple of predictions, you know, and let's uh, let's see where we stand mid-season. We had biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and uh, shocking moments. So, in the disappointment category, Ryan, you said your biggest disappointments were going to be Mercedes, and separately, uh, Logan Sargent. How do you feel about that? I feel I'm pretty accurate. I mean, there might be bigger disappointments, but. Um... My disappointment is a tailor here. I was hoping Lewis would be a little bit more competitive. He might be able to give Max a day or two this season where Max and him have some of their old fights and it looks like Lewis could actually win in that Mercedes. Against we we both Lewis. had him down as a race winner. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think it's outside of the cars. It's just I think at this point in the season, it's less likely. But... Um, you know, I it, Lewis and George had a solid season last year. I don't feel like they're much better this year. I mean, they're about where they were last year. Maybe a little worse in some instances if you give context. Um, so they they so, are one one position up, you know, because they finished third last year and were mm-hmm. third ish this time. Uh, they're second now, 
but with significantly less points. Well, I'm talking about like where the drivers are sitting in their points. But I mean, okay. yeah, yeah, as far as a team goes, yeah. I mean, uh, but I think it, it's such a larger discrepancy. They have as a team, you know, this is this is what it is. And I was having this conversation, another sports analogy, where I was debating with one of my students at work, and I am a journalism teacher, and I teach sports journalism as well. And so uh, whether Giannis was being honest when he says that he, when he got angry about the season being a disappointment, and I'm like, he's lying. And, you know, people were defending him, and I said, in my opinion, he's lying. Uh, Giannis onto the Kumpo with that Bucks team, which has won a championship and is designed to win championships with a guy who's a perennial MVP, can't honestly say that it's okay that we went out in the first round this year or we went out in the second round this year. You are playing for the chance to at least compete for a championship every year. That means getting to the finals. That means having a chance to win. So it is a disappointment. And that's where Mercedes is at for me. Mercedes is built and designed and has the mentality with the drivers they have um, and the pedigree that they have to win for championships. And this year, that wasn't really even on the cards after race one. It was abundantly clear. There was such a huge gulf. And so... That's where the disappointment lies with me. They could have a similar constructors championship finish as last year, and their drivers could approximately finish where they want to or where they were last year. But it's being static and not really static. You're you're static in position, but you are much further away from the top. Um, is a disappointment. And that's just, you know, their measuring stick is Red Bull and whether or not they can compete with them for a championship. It has nothing to do with the other, you know, uh, eight teams on the track. And so that's where the disappointment lies. It's explain right. that. Well, I, I think uh, the the other eight teams do play in when it comes to Aston Martin and McLaren to where at different times of the year, you're behind teams that, you, you know, you're, you're the, you're the works team. You're the Mercedes teams. You shouldn't have teams that get your parts from you beating you out. So, yeah, you measure yourself to Red Bull, but you're also now starting to get eaten up by the quote-unquote midfield that you're supposed to be comfortably in front of. Right, and, you know, all credit uh, to Lawrence Stroll. He's invested in that team being a competitor. He has put the money. He has recruited the people he wanted it. He has put the effort in and so I give him credit um, that there's an effort there uh, that I can appreciate as to why he's been able to maybe close that gap a little bit. But uh, Mercedes shouldn't be shouldn't be seeding that gap because they are the standard bearer. And to my other one, Logan's is a hard thing for me. I I think my disappointment is more the situation than it is Logan. Um, Logan's in a can't win situation, I think. He's in a Williams, um, arguably the worst team on the track, um, heading into the season. Just heading into the season, yeah. Performance uh, up to that point, um, resources. They're always kind of just there. Uh, they they're like Mississippi. They're always last in the states, right? And so I'm like. Ah, it, He's an American. He's a rookie. There's another guy on his team uh, that's a reserve driver that has a little bit more going for him than he does. That as soon as he stumbles, that they'll want to shuffle in Mick Schumacher, right? 
Um, and then there's other drivers chomping at the bit, right? Uh, and there's no there's no beholdenness to Logan Sargent, right? So that's the case. And then in reality too, I I was hoping the kid would grab a, a point or two, you know, by this point in the season, um, because I predicted rookies pointing early and often, and um, uh, he has not. And uh, the only rookie to do so is Oscar. Um, and the uh, there are less rookies to actually do it now because <laughs> we've had a change in the season already. So. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on Oscar again because he does play into some of your other thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my biggest disappointments, I had McLaren and Yuki Sonoda. And man, for the first couple weeks, I was really nailed to this one. Uh, McLaren, excuse me, looked just uncompetitive. They started off the year just, I mean, behind Haas, behind Alfa Romeo, behind Williams, essentially. Um, They only really picked up points in Australia because the Alpines took each other out and Carlos had a penalty that dropped him behind seven people. So pretty fortuitous there to pick up, uh, you know, that bunch of points. They were able to sneak a couple more in Monaco uh, because of the rain and again Lance crashing out. Uh, but, you know, e- even as late as Miami, they were 17th and 19th. In Spain, they were 13th and 17th. No points again in Canada. It wasn't until they brought just an absolute slew of upgrades to Lando's car in Austria that all, all of a sudden they, they seemed to turn not just a corner but they turned a whole track and you know uh, all of a sudden Lando's competing for poles uh, they're nearly both getting on the podium Lando ended up doubling up second places in back to back weeks in uh, you know Silverstone in Hungary uh, didn't exactly have a great Belgium Grand Prix but you know that, that was kind of you know Carlos's fault for you know, being a uh, bull in a china shop on turn one, lap one, taking out Oscar. But, uh, you know, I thought they were a pretty big disappointment for all the talk they had coming into the year and obviously the expectations on Oscar's shoulder. Even being a rookie, the fact that, you know, he's a rookie, but he had a pedigree in the other, you know, uh, you know, feeder series and he's replacing Daniel Ricardo. Like, if you're going to replace Daniel Ricardo, regardless of what he did in his two years in McLaren, you're going to have to bring something to the table. And, you know, it seemed like essentially Danny had the last laugh getting paid, you know, $20 million to sit on the sidelines and watch, you know, McLaren being a dumpster fire. But to their credit, you know, they, they stuck with, uh, you know, the belief in the team in uh, being able to be agile enough to make change and make the correct changes, they did, and it's paid off for them. So I, I don't think they can fall in biggest disappointment category anymore, but the year's still young. Uh, as far as Yuki, Alpha Towery's been comfortably the, the worst car, and I don't think that's you know, fair, fair to him. Uh, obviously the car has been so bad that they had to let one of the drivers go, but you know, in a bad car, if you have two people and one of them's at least eking out some points like Yuki's doing, uh, that was ultimately, 
you know, uh, all she wrote for Nick DeVries. And now Yuki has to go against Danny Ricardo. And uh, again, to his credit, the last race, he picked up a point when Danny didn't. Um, so, I, you know, Yuki's not the most disappointing driver. So I think he's actually done really well. Um, in reality, like my biggest disappointment has to be Lance Stroll in a car that good. I know he started off the year a little banged up from his bicycle accident, but even weeks beyond that, when his teammate is getting the car top three position, he's qualifying on the second row on Saturday for Lance to be like not, not even behind his teammate. Being as behind his teammate is one thing. It's Fernando Alonso, multiple-time world champion. But just being seconds behind him, a lap behind him when the race is over, uh, it, it's really, really gotten to the point now where Aston Martin has to consider if the owner's son is the right way to go in the future. Um so Ryan, I don't know if you agree with my biggest disappointment, but thus far it's it's Lance Stroll. I I do agree to a certain extent. I don't think he's my biggest disappointment because I don't think much of Lance Stroll already, um, and that's just because I felt like he's always been out driven by the other person on his team, whether that was Checo and now it's Fernando. So um, uh, in the last few years, when he's had a car that was competitive. So I just feel like nothing against Lance. I think he deserves to be on the grid. I don't think he's that disappointing. He's not just getting daddy's, you know, money and opportunity on it. But I think he could legitimately land on another team uh, and, and deserves to be on the grid. But um, I also think he gets a lot more leeway because he is on daddy's team. I would uh, say my biggest disappointment probably lies with, Ferrari um, and that may be odd to say because oh no I'm here for it were. I mean but I mean expectations are is like because I, I don't know maybe I just drank the Kool-Aid again Ferrari can't possibly Ferrari that much again right they changed so much they supposedly addressed these issues that they had it does seem like there is a pecking order now where in the past they seem to let Carlos and Charles duke it out um, change you know, in leadership yeah, it goes, there's a lot going on here. Maybe it takes more than a season, right? Um, but, eh, I mean, I thought this Ferrari team was going to be one of those teams that also was going to try to make Red Bull have a couple of bad weekends. And they don't look like it either. And uh, they're doing it worse than Mercedes is at, at, at this juncture. Um, and you just you are getting to a point where Charles is to a point where you'd like to start seeing that championship pedigree play out on the track. Um, and you, you have a hard time trying to pull Charles out of the bad Ferrari situation and, and be able to say, is it Charles? Is it Ferrari? And then same thing with Carlos. I mean, I would say people don't consider Carlos in the same breath as Lando and Charles future championship winners. Um, but uh, I feel like Carlos is better than this too, you know? And, uh, to sit there and say, 
it's a dream to be on the Ferrari team for a lot of drivers. I would say there's a good port. I would be very hard pressed for anybody on this grid that say at some point, if they had the chance and everything lined up that they wouldn't like to drive a Ferrari for a season or two um, because of just, you know, the iconic thing to do and so much success. But do you really want to play out the next few seasons in this Ferrari? If this is what's going to be Charles and Carlos. Yeah. I mean, I like Carlos. I think he's sometimes even underrated, uh, but he's just prone to making mistakes. And, you know, we saw it the last race in Belgium. He stuck his nose in when he didn't have to, uh, just really pinched in Oscar when he didn't need to. It's, you, you, know, you can't win the race on the first lap, but you can lose it. Both cars ultimately retired and you know had Carlos had you know even a a decent ish race where he finished fifth he'd be ahead of his teammate in fifth place in the standings Um, and you can't make your own driving errors when you're on a team that kind of already makes setup and strategy errors on their own because now you're just compounding mistakes on mistakes um and that's 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 the problem with the ferrari environment right now the car seems to be designed and engineered well it was certainly the fastest car in the field last year but it ate through tires it didn't like changeable weather like temperature conditions it was was temperature sensitive uh it was rear-end limited and then they had awful strategy and they've carried everything over to this year, except the car isn't quite as fast as it was last year. Um, so you need to button up what you can control as a driver. And that's, you know, keeping your car clean and making it to the end of the race. Like if you want to finish first, first you have to finish. So, right there, I, you know, it's things that compound. It's the, um, as you mentioned, there's issues elsewhere. So you need to make sure you're tight as a driver, but what you're doing as a driver is actually you're pushing and pressing because you're trying to compensate for the deficiencies elsewhere and you make mistakes. And that's what we're seeing the drivers do. Carlos more than Charles. Uh, I think Carlos also has a chip on his shoulder trying to establish himself that he deserves to be considered in the same breath as Charles. And that's just not doing him any favors either. Yep. Well, it might be uh, surprising to see Ferrari as of right now in fourth in the standings when they finished second last year. Uh, we ultimately didn't have them on our biggest preseason surprises. On my end, I uh, really put my foot in my mouth. I had as my biggest surprises that this year's champion would have eight wins or less because I thought it'd be a super competitive year and we'd have you know, as many as seven different race winners. And instead, Max has won 10 out of 12 races. So that one's already in the bin. Way to go. Uh, My second one still has an outside shot of happening. My other biggest surprise was that 24 drivers were going to get a shot. I thought we'd have a couple of super subs come in. Who knows? Uh, You know, COVID replacements potentially, or, you know, a lot of crazy movements. 
I mean, we, we were close with Sergio. He almost didn't race because he was feeling unwell. Um, it, still, he didn't miss any time. Ultimately, we did have one replacement with Daniel Ricardo coming in for the drop Nick DeVries. So we have gone from 20 to 21. I just need to find three other drivers to fill in the remainder of the year. My phone is on if anyone would like to call. <laughs> I think I think you have a chance to get to one more. Uh, Logan does seem to be a driver, the only driver still with a hot seat. Um, after that, it'd be surprising. Uh, but uh, injury or illness would would have to get you the other two, in my opinion. Yeah, cer- certainly as far as people at risk of losing their seat to drive at any point this year, I, like you said, I could only see it happening with Logan Sargent. Uh, the, the only other person whose performance has been bad has maybe been Kevin Magnuson. Um, and the only reason why I'm not mentioning Lance Stroll here is because he's got probably the you know biggest plot armor in the history being you well, know I, the, the son of the owner. It's, it's going to take a lot for him to get you know tossed out the window. And Kevin has a good history with Haas where I don't think they would, they would punch him in the mouth in the middle of the season. I think they would, they would separate at the end, right? Yeah, they were going I, to do something like that. Uh, I, I know there was talk of um, you know having some different drivers come in and do some FP1 sessions at the end of the year, but seemingly race seat safe. Um, I, I would have to say like an. Well, let, let, let me get to your biggest surprises first. Uh, you said that Toto would take a step back this year, um, you know, from his team principal management role, maybe to some other type of supervisory position, but not the face of the team per se. And that Oscar would be very strong as a rookie. And, uh, you know, thus far. Uh, one for one. Yeah, thus far one, one for one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Oscar has turned it around with the uh, you know advent of their newly designed car, taking advantage of it. Looked, ne- it's not that he's even uh, necessarily just oh he's in a faster car now because he's going to be better. He seems to have come alive in what the car is able to do now. Uh, he's you know trying to make moves on Max. He's up at the front for extended periods of time. Uh, it's, you know, it's a shame that he got knocked out of the race early in Belgium, but e- either we're looking at, at it through the prism of a new car, or he's just carrying a load more confidence uh, I, in the I second half times, of the first half. Yeah, I felt at times in the beginning part of the season, even when they are having some performance issues, he did seem to be the more consistent and better rookie compared to Nick and Logan. Um, and then once they made the changes to the car, he actually seems to be quite competitive. And at times, I feel like uh, the difference between him and Lando in that car isn't that wide. You know, that's not to take anything away from Lando or give any more to Oscar. It just, you know, sometimes when teams get those upgrades, the better driver seems to be that much better than the secondary driver. And I don't see the gulf between them with the upgrades that I see elsewhere, which has made it rather. I, I think he's just seen game and really enjoyed being on the track this year and done the best with what he's had. And I feel like uh, that's pretty good. Uh, Toto taking a step back. I don't know. He's been a little quieter, um, but that might be just Mercedes is like, you know, 
positioning right now because of you know Red Bull's dominance. Uh, he does still seem to be Machiavellian, if you will. He is, you know, still pulling levers and strings to set up what he wants to have in, in the future. And um, I would not be surprised if uh, he got what he wanted. So it's hard to say he's taking that much of a step back if he's trying to make he's trying to line things up for the future. Yeah, uh, certainly with the the lack of even competitiveness of the car you know you, you don't really have a lot to you know to 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 be boisterous about you know uh why, why talk so much when you don't have the performance to back it up you know with, with oscar you know to to his credit he had to make it worth it for mclaren for everything that happened last year with alpine announcing him as the driver them trying to get a deal done, paying Danny to leave the team to get the the seat open, and to, like you know, there was a lot of drama in that, uh, you know, that lineup with Lando Norris, like to, to line him up next to Lando Norris, I should say. Uh, so the dividends you needed from him were already set pretty high for the cost it took to get him into the team. So uh, I think he's really starting to prove to McLaren and to Zach Brown that it was worth all the drama we had to go through to get this guy on the team because he seems to be the real deal. Um, so as far as actual biggest surprise, I, I think the fact that nobody's even like sniffing Red Bull is, is, is just a huge surprise. Uh, you know, or maybe the fact that Aston Martin was able to make such a big leap over the off season and I guess we'll just have to wait to see if it was at the expense of running over the cost cap. I don't want, I'll try to be different because I am shocked that Red Bull is so dominant. It is the biggest surprise. I, I did think, I wasn't surprised that they're that good and I wasn't surprised that Max is that good. I just thought we'd see a little bit more competitiveness for some wins this year. Uh, the the biggest surprise to me is that um, maybe I will stay with Red Bull, but more focus on Sergio. Uh, and it's maybe a back way of saying that it's a disappointment, but that he is that far behind his teammate. Um, and, and arguably the second best car on the track, like actual car, right? Um, as opposed to second best team. That is so surprising to me. Um, and again, you know, if you were to pull him out, if you were to pull Max out of this, he still have a 40 point lead on the next guy. And so you pull Sergio out of it. He's still leading the constructor championship by himself. Right. So, um, that's it. It's that Max is the team by himself. But even so, his teammate has more points by 40 than uh, the next guy. Um, such a preponderance of points and one team that it's doubled up Mercedes uh, is, is shocking. But to be honest with you, Steve, it could be worse. That's what's surprising. It could be worse. Sergio has certainly punted on points this year. Yeah. Well, um, you just you just said shocking, and you said Sergio. We also talked 
before the season that what we would we have some shocking moments. And one of my shocking moments was that Red Bull was going to drop Sergio Perez. Uh, and, you know, in my mind, I already had a narrative played out. You know, no, no secret that there was some clashing between Max and Sergio and the team last year as far as, you know, who, who deserved what or who did what to whom or, you know, uh, someone crashed on purpose during qualifying or someone not let somebody buy at Brazil. So there's already some lingering animosity and that if, you know, Sergio could put in a challenge in this dominant car that, you know, at some point they were going to come together or something and it was going to be too much for Red Bull to want to deal with. And then they were going to drop Sergio for, you know, the, the maybe a little bit more compliant, you know, Daniel Ricardo now that he's had to sit on the sidelines and lick his wounds. That was my big brain scenario. Uh, going through the weeks, you know, you had the one scenario happening where like, wow, Sergio's really kind of competing here. After Baku, he had two wins to Max's two wins. And he's, you know, sniffing, uh, you, you know, chances and, and nipping at his heels. But then, you know, ultimately Monaco happened. And he's just... You know, driving around blindly out there lost. He's having, you know, issues in qualifying where he's not making into Q3. He's, you know, uh, you're, you're watching uh, Haas drivers and Williams drivers make it into Q3 and he's getting knocked out in Q1. Uh, he's look looking completely uncompetitive. He's, you know, damaging the car, costing them money in, in the cost cap. And it's like, okay, well, now we're looking in the other direction where it's like we need to have someone we can rely on in the car versus, oh, he's too competitive. Now he's not competitive enough. So week to week, that Ricardo stock was rising. Ultimately, he found a home somewhere else within the Red Bull stable, but not in the Red Bull car. Um, and all we've gotten now is... You know, I, I don't want to say glowing comments, but essentially very uh, sternly worded comments from the Red Bull side that Sergio's not going anywhere and he's the one we want to have in that second seat. Um, but I, I still think there's a chance out there that it could happen. But that, that was my big shocking moment. The other one being that at some point, Sainz and Leclerc would come together fighting over points. You know, with them only seven points away, it still could present itself at the end of the year. But to this point, their side-by-side -side racing has been kind of uh, been neutered, kept to a minimum, uh, aside from like one or two scenarios where the other driver's asking to, to pass because, you know, oh, I'm faster, should let me by, I can, I can get ahead, I can attack. But uh, my shocking moments have yet to come to bear. Ryan, you, on the other hand, uh, you said that it'd be shocking for another comeback. But that was a comeback of Mick Schumacher. Um, and I still give that a better than 50-50 chance, wouldn't you? I would, too. Um, I do feel like Logan has found a little bit of consistency where you could justify giving him more time. Um, and he survived this break. Uh, Nick DeVries did not. Um, and so, you know, when do you make the change? Uh, if you're going to cut 
somebody uh, this late in the season, you would presume to do so to give them enough races to get a sense of what it's like to be in the car to set up for next year. Talk about Machiavellian Toto behind the scenes. Right. Uh, And, you know, probably long-term, better for the team and interest for the team, uh, Mick can probably do more for the Williams than he was doing elsewhere. Um, uh, And so I... I still think that's that's on that's in play. Um, as far as like reality, um, I could, the the most shocking thing was uh, how quickly maybe Danny got back on the track for me. I mean, not surprising when Nick kind of bend it early, but um, I just think that Danny has a good portion of the season to try to figure out what this looks like and still doesn't keep him out of the running for maybe that replacing Checo in the future. It just feels like Danny's future is bright, even if he doesn't perform well. So I, I think Danny's in a perfect position. If he doesn't perform well in the AlphaTauri, they'll just be like, the AlphaTauri's trash. It's not Danny. If he performs well in it, they're like, damn, we need to give him more chances. You know, so uh, it's a hell of a position to be in. Finishing last is not going to kill Danny this year. Certainly not. Um, and, you know, the potential with, you know, Williams being a Mercedes customer team and, you know, former Mercedes team member as their team principal and, you know, the ever-looming, ever-looming presence of Toto, just, you know, the the, the guiding hand uh, not in economy, but in Formula One, the guiding hand just to maybe get Mick another chance. That Schumacher name still carries some kind of weight. Uh, your second half of your shocking predictions uh, were that we'd get points from rookies early on. And we did. But one. But just Only from one. one. Uh, so, you know, Oscar showed up. Uh, you know, had to fight a bad McLaren car, got points in his third race, which was his home race, got points in his third race, which was his home race in Australia. Yeah, and so I I feel pretty strong on that, but I did think that maybe Nick or Logan would steal some points early on. Obviously, Nick's performance wasn't there, and that, you know, I was relying on maybe Logan getting a little bit of luck, uh, but... I'm happy with that shocker uh, being right, uh, even if it's a bit independent, even if it's a bit reliant on one person doing really well out of a team of three, if you will, or a group of three. But yeah, you know, uh, the lack of points, too, in that situation, I would imagine, also necessitated why Danny ended up in the car, which is, I think, my current shocking. I still, I, I stick with that's shocking how quickly they just bend Nick DeVries. I think of the three drivers, Nick was not going to be the guy in my early running to go. Um, but I guess in hindsight, as we saw the way they talked about Nick, he's like, well, he's just not like he's 21 years old. Uh, that's a, fair or not. If you're a rookie and you're like 26, 27, 28 years old, uh, that you have more of a hook, you know, uh, 
it's like I guess in football here, if Stetson Bennett comes in and plays football 26-27, he doesn't look good. They might cut bait sooner. It's not like, ah, he's got a few more years in him. A few more years in him and he's 30. Yeah, I mean, he, he only had one offer from one team. And it wasn't the team he substituted for last year and scored a point. You know, he stepped in for Alex Albon last year in Italy, you know, scored points, you know, is essentially what got him his opportunity. But he did it with Williams, who was, again, a Mercedes customer team. Nick was a Mercedes driver. You would think, well, with them having an open position, letting... Uh, Nicholas Latifi go, that's probably where DeVries would end up. Like, no, he ended up on, you know, the opposing side, essentially, in a Red Bull team car. And, you know, so he didn't come up through their system. He wasn't, quote-unquote, their driver. But they saw enough talent there to give him a chance on their, you know, B team. But, like, yeah, he's 28. He's older than Max. He's older than Charles. He's older than Lando. He's older than, uh, you know, Oscar Piastri. You know, I say that's surprising, Steve. I mean, like, we know how deep Red Bull's roster is. There's two, three, four drivers that could easily make a case that they could be on the grid. And they're behind um, Danny uh, at this point, uh, you know, before he took a job uh, with Alvatari. It's just interesting that Nick was able to leapfrog that development program with a few guys who could arguably be on the grid this season. Yeah. Uh, You know, Liam Lawson continues to look strong and and poised to, you know, break in to F1 at at any time. Uh, I think just, you know, uh, such a strong tie to Danny Ricciardo and Red Bull and the fact that they could, you know, he's been trackside with them been in their simulator you know while Liam Lawson's been racing in Japan so just I think the plug and play ease that they had with Daniel Ricardo and that we can absolutely use him as a measuring stick to Yuki Sonoda if Yuki's going to either maintain his seat or be considered in that second seat in Red Bull uh, because they know Sergio is not the long-term answer. You know, his, his contract only goes to next year. Um, so they, they have to be looking now to, you know, who they're going to pair with Max. And and not that I'm saying it's going to happen, but, you know, Mercedes had a situation where they thought their driver's lineup was locked up in 2006, where for 13, 14, 15, 16... Yeah, not 2006, 2016, I'm sorry. 13, 14, 15, 16. They had Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. And Lewis won two titles. Nico won his. And then walked away from the sport. So where they felt like they had a lineup for, you know, uh, the better part of a decade, one of their drivers walked away in a shock retirement. And if you're Red Bull and you have Max absolutely dominating, but you know there's there's even a single percentage that he could walk away from the sport if they add a couple races. He walks away. You don't have that seat filled. You've got a 34-year-old Sergio Perez. And you don't want to keep extending his contract. Now you have two seats to fill. So you really need to start moving your chess pieces now to have them in place for the years to come. And it's... 
Yeah, I mean, best laid plans, right? We've seen this all the time in sports. You build your ideal roster and you're going to go win championships. And you think you have things set up like you've got your star of the future and then he go and diddles a little kid like Tampa Bay. Um, I hate to bring that up. Uh, but, you know, things happen all the time. Um, you have your best laid plans. You think you did everything right. I mean, I, I'll put this up to... to Another sports analogy to close this out, Steve. The San Antonio Spurs. They were in a position where they're trying to maintain those that two-decade dominance. They won multiple championships with different teams. They went David Robinson handed off to uh, Tim Duncan, who had that Manu and uh, Tony Parker. And then they get Kawhi Leonard. And then Kawhi Leonard is going to lead them into the next generation. And Kawhi Leonard had other ideas. <laughs> D- didn't want to be there, right? Um, and so now they had that kind of down period where like, oh no, what are we going to do? And they just drafted Victor Wembanyama, and he's hopefully that next guy who will now pick up the, you know, the baton and, f- and, and carry them into the future. But, you know, uh, best laid plans. Uh, you know, Anthony Davis leaves uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Zion Williamson's supposed to be the guy who slides in and, you know, rescues them. Uh, you know, the, the, we see this all the time. Um, people do the right things. They draft the right players. They make it, well, he goes, the Colts, uh, Peyton Manning, we get on the Andrew Luck train and we're good. And then Andrew Luck retires all of a sudden, right? So, yeah, we this happens in sports. Why should F1 be immune at all, right? Um, and, you know, it's time will tell, right? You know, Sergio seems like a guy destined to be set up fine to be in the seat for a few years as Max gets into the prime of his career or stretches out his prime. He could be gone at the end of the season. You never know. Uh, he could get angry with the situation. He could decide to retire. He could think he has a better opportunity somewhere else. Um, they could f- stick Danny in there and just say, we'd rather put Danny in there. Um, Lewis could retire tomorrow, you know? Who knows? He's done plenty. He doesn't have to keep racing. And all of a sudden, Mercedes is like, ah, shit, George is our guy, and who else is going to be with him? There well, is no, I don't I don't know if there's a secession plan right in place for Mercedes, right? Well, they haven't been able to put pen to paper and, and get a, a, a new deal done. He's still on the same contract that only goes through next year, and I know they want to lock him up for longer than that, but, um, you know, it's 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 been a quiet, you know, middle of the season when you normally see these type of deals get signed. And, you know, Lewis hasn't, at least publicly, made that commitment yet. So, yeah, you you can't assume that, you know, there's not that level of dependability. As much as I'd like to see Lewis stay at Mercedes and and finish his career there and get that elusive eighth title and, you know, maybe they'll have to, you know, just win a ninth in case... You know, Felipe Massa wants to take 2008 back uh, just to be sure. It's like, all right, I'll win two more. So even if you take one away, I still have eight. Um, yeah, I, I I, don't think Lewis wants to go out this way. Um, and there's nothing. It's not like he's like, you know, falling down and, and not at his best. Uh, again, uh, I would say to some extent, the rest of this the rest of this grid should be maybe a tad embarrassed if there is an it, there's an actual, you know, legitimate stake to say younger drivers could be able to do this better. 
but two of the oldest drivers on the grid uh, are still outclassing most of these 20-year-olds. Well, yeah. Right? I mean, you, you look at second, third, and fourth are, you know, Sergio's 33, Fernando's in his 40s, and Lewis's 38. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those those are elder statesmen. And, you know, obviously we're, we're looking at different machinery, but, you know, you, you'd think the young guns in Ferrari, uh, certainly a very young team in McLaren, they've had their issues. But, you know, George it has been, like, pre-anointed as a future world champion, or at least having that pedigree. Mm-hmm. And he just hasn't been able to match what Lewis can do in the same car. Well, and this is one of those things where it's like LeBron, right? Hanging around and you know, being around there forever. Uh, sometimes it extends so long because they're so good for so long and longer than anybody's ever seen them that people miss their windows to be competitive. Like, you know, uh, you're looking at it here. You're like, Lewis hangs around a few more years and Max is now in his prime and could win multiple championships. Hey, can you legitimately see George Russell poking through Leclerc poking through um, who else has been anointed? Uh, you know, not a lot of guys have technically been anointed either. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's really been like Charles George and Lando. Lando. Lando, Lando yeah. They were know. like the three, these guys put them in the right car. will win a championship. And I think I'm not going to put this on Oscar, but I think Oscar at least has a chance to, get in that conversation with a year or two of consistency. Uh, he would have to do that though, but uh, he has not, he has had a nice rookie year and, and can build on that to see if he is that guy. But uh, as long as he's at McLaren right now behind Lando, that he's not going to be prioritized. So yeah, you know, there's not a lot of guys on this grid that people are just saying, ding, you're a champion in the future. Um, and there's no guarantee those three we named or even four we named will win anytime soon um given the pedigree that's still on the grid uh as long as those people want to to continue to race now i could all be at the same time max could say you're expanding it i've won three in a row i'm good uh fernando's like i'm done lewis is like i'm done and then all of a sudden it opens up for a lot of people it's a whole you know again you can't predict anything but if this holds and you predict that folks will hang around within reason of what you think they're going to, because they seem like they're at the top of their game and they still want to race. Um, it's hard to see some of these other guys poking through in the next five to eight years. It really is. Yeah. I mean, how many people went ringless because the bulls won six out of eight, you know, yeah. uh, uh, how many guys uh, didn't win MVP because, LeBron was there all the time, or Jordan was there all the time. Uh, you know, uh, there's lots of people who you're like, man, you look at their stats, you look at their records, you look at when they existed, and you're like, that guy's the best player, except he's the second best player because there was a guy who was always there. And second best meant you didn't get any of the accolades of the other guy because he always took the, he always took them. But, Sometimes it pays just to be Robert or Rory. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's just nice to get a lot of the trophies and a lot of the success and not being worried whether or not you're the best. You're just happy to be a talented enough player to be in the picture. And I feel like that's a good place to end this podcast, Steve. So 
for the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. I'm Steve McNally. And we will catch you next time across the line.